Father, this Christian life is real. Your love is amazing. Your grace is amazing. Oh, how I wonder how many times I really appreciate it. Do I really understand it? God, I pray that you would change our lives this morning. Change my life. The time is too short. The day of grace will be coming to a close soon. Help us to become serious in our Christian life. In my weakness, God, be strong. I ask for your blessing upon us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The week before Sim left, I... uh, thought I had an appointment to see him and I had the, my days were switched. Anyway, as we both agreed, it was a God appointment. And I think sometimes it's, uh, Sim hardly knows how to take me. So that day I said to him, well, Sim, when you're gone, I'll be in charge. I do tend to do that kind of thing just to see if I get a reaction. He didn't react. So a few days later, we were together again. And I reminded him, I said, Sim, you're not in charge, then neither am I. If we think in the Christian life that we're in charge, we're sorely mistaken. Those throughout Scripture that have been used by God have gone through extreme circumstances to prepare them for the task at hand. And I would say without exception. I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction here before I get to the message on living by grace. And I'm just going to read a few verses. First one's in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then came to Jesus, the mother of Zebedee's children. That's James and John with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to Jesus, grant that these my two sons may sit, one on my right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? And to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, we are able. And he said unto them, you shall drink indeed of my cup. And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. 
but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it should be given to them for whom it is prepared by my Father. And James became one of the first martyrs. John lived to a ripe old age, but if history is true, he was put into a cauldron of boiling oil. Are you prepared to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And Jesus Christ was going to the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in leading up to our message today, I'd like to read you a section, chapter 11 from verse 23 to 30. 22 to 30, I won't go over the first part of it, we'll get the gist of if we start here. So I won't give you the background, but Paul writes, he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes save one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily are the cares of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I am not ashamed, if I must needs glory? I will glory in the things which concern my infirmities. I would like to remind you, and you may not realize it, that all these messages since Sim has left are not disjointed. They are all connected together. I'd like to take you back to the first message after Sim left. God is the potter. I am the clay. The clay has no right to say to the potter, why do you make me like this? And I'm challenged to think the number of times that I have thought that I had that right. We think at some point because we've been saved and the glorious Greatness of it is that we have been saved by grace. A wonderful message that we have to proclaim. That we've been saved by grace. But somehow, after our salvation, we tend to think that we can do it in our own strength. 
Or we revert to laws by which we follow so that we might look as if we're a Christian. And we need to take stock of the fact that we are but clay. God is working on his timetable, not my timetable. You all know that I'm not here because I decided to come here. God is working out something in each and every one of our lives. And I have tried to encourage everyone here since I've come to look at yourself and to see where you may fit into what God is doing. I've done that on purpose because many of you think I'm not qualified. The sooner you realize you're not qualified, the better. That's the kind of person that God chooses. But I would be remiss in not speaking to you about the other side of that coin. God is calling us. God has saved us. God has a work for us to do. But before that can be accomplished, before we can be involved in what God is doing, we must go through testing and trials and a crushing from God because the flesh is so strong that we think that we're now in charge. I can decide when I work for God and when I don't work for God. It's my decision. It's not. I've forgotten that I'm just but clay. And if that is the case, you haven't gone through the next step in the process of the vessel being formed is you have to go through the furnace of affliction. Have you reached rock bottom to realize that you are nothing and Christ is everything? John the Baptist says he must increase, but I must decrease. That needs to be the bent of our minds every day of every week. Jesus is the one that's in charge. All we are at the best is a mouthpiece. And he chooses whom he will to serve. But what a privilege. But what a responsibility. And if you're not prepared, then God will put you through the furnace of affliction. As I was going over this message today, I didn't realize it last week, and I don't even remember the details of it. But last week, the message ended with the need to be broken. And we could see that even with Jesus. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Dear friends, if we have not gone through brokenness, we're of no value to the master. Paul went through all these struggles. Why? You see that? Paul came to know God's grace through weakness. 
And he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the section just after he speaks about the amazing revelations that God had given him. And he'd been caught up to the third heaven and he'd heard things that were not lawful for man to utter. But God had given him a revelation of things that were hidden in ages past. One of those revelations was the mystery of the church. The other revelation was the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Had never been realized before in Old Testament times. And God revealed those things to the Apostle Paul. And he could have gloried in the fact that he was the one that received the message. Is it from the main mic? Okay. So we'll read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That was the background to this section. And Paul says, because of the surpassing greatness and extraordinary nature of the revelations which I received from God, for this reason, to keep me from thinking of myself as important, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to torment and harass me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that I might leave, it might leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough. Always available, regardless of the situation. For my power is made perfect and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may completely enfold me and may dwell in me. So I am well pleased with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak in human strength, then I am strong, truly able, truly powerful, truly drawing from God's strength. You would think, when, God, when Paul got that message, he would say, but give me a break. You're giving me a thorn for my flesh and it's going to be a messenger of Satan. Clear indication of the fact that God is in charge. Satan is not in charge. I am not in charge. You are not in charge. And God uses whatever means he will to bring us to the point of breaking. He's done it with every Servant of God throughout church history. And this never left Paul for the length of his life. I asked the Lord three times if he would remove it. 
And his answer was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is being perfected and completed in your weakness. I was challenged by this this week because the spotlight of God was turned on me. I had to take a look at myself. What do I know of the grace of God? Do you want me to switch to the main mic? No? What do I really know of the grace of God? The wonderful message is that we're saved by grace, but now we have to live by grace. And where are we going to come to know the grace of God? God says to Paul, in your weakness. And I challenge myself, have I reached that point? Yes, I've gone through things in life. Yes, I've thought that I've come to the bottom many times. But you know, pride comes in at the most unexpected times. All of us are plagued by it. And God cannot use us and will not use us if there's pride. We can have an outward expression of humility that does not reflect what may be truly in the heart. Do I aspire to stand here? No. Here's a backstory. We were in our 40s. My wife said to me one day, we're now in our 40s, what have we done for the Lord? Valid question. What have we really been involved in people's lives that God has used us in people's lives to bring about either salvation or encouragement or whatever it was that was needed? And I never forget my answer. I said to her, well, you know, how long was John the Baptist's ministry for? She says, I don't know. I said, you know, it might have been six months. Look at the preparation that was required for John the Baptist to minister as the forerunner of Christ making straight the path for the Messiah to come. And then his life was over. Likewise, in many of the biblical narratives, we find the same sort of thing happening. And I said to her, you know what? If it takes a lifetime for God to prepare us for what he's about to do, and he calls us in order to do his work, and that work may be for six months, but it's taken a lifetime to prepare for it. Praise God. We've answered the call of God. We've done what we've been born to do. Thank God that we've had some small part. If I'm here for three months, I'm satisfied, more than satisfied. I'm willing to back into, fade into the woodwork. But if that is the case, God will raise up other people. But if he raises you up, don't forget that you're just clay in the hands of the potter. 
He cannot use anything other than that. Partway through the week, I went over to my sister's house. I'm going to give you two examples here. One is personal. I went over to my sister's house in the middle of the week. Let me give you some background on her. When she was a teenager, she started to be racked with rheumatoid arthritis. And they gave her cortisone shots. And of course, she puffed up like this. A few years later, she got married. She had what they thought was Crohn's disease. She had some sort of a disturbance within her digestive tract. And the doctor said, you'll never have children. And she had two. And after that, she had her hysterectomy. And then after that, her lower bowel died. She wasn't able to pass anything. And they didn't make a decision to operate for three weeks. Imagine. Her stomach would just extend out like this to the point of bursting. Finally, they removed her lower bowel and gave her an ileostomy, and she's in her late 20s. It's acidic fluid that comes out of that from the upper bowel, can burn your skin. She ended up learning how to look after it herself. But because it ended up being a motility disease of the digestive tract, she could eat something, even if it was mashed potatoes, and get partway down, and the muscles would stop working. And she would be nauseated. Her stomach would extend. They'd put a rubber hose that size into her stomach when they operated, so that if it Stopped up, she could then pump it into a jar from her stomach. She's in her late 20s. She's lost track of the number of times that she's had septicemia, which is a poisoning of the blood. And a year or two ago, when she was back in, the doctor said to her, Nancy, you know you shouldn't be here. She says, I know. God has kept her here. So I went over to see her when I said, Nancy, I have a message to give on Sunday. I'm not qualified to give it. Because you see, Paul said, it's in weakness that God's grace is perfected. I haven't, re- I haven't known what that's like. So I'm going to ask you, what is it really like when you're in weakness and you come to know what the grace of God is like? And she's given me permission to share this with you. At the beginning of COVID, 
She got septicemia again. And along with it, she had an infection in the bones. Even morphine, which she'd been on for 30 years with a pump for the pain. She would have three to four days a month when she might not be in pain. And they gave her, administered her morphine in the hospital. It wouldn't even come close to coming on top of the pain. And she says, that night, I just cried out to God. I was praying. Every few minutes, pleading with God to take away the pain. And she was one that was able to withstand pain throughout her whole lifetime. She says, God, I can't. Please take this pain away. It was so intense. And then she says, partway through the night, I began thanking God. I thanked him for everything I could remember to thank him for. Even that I was still here today. I began to thank him for his goodness. And she is in the middle of pain. And she said, suddenly, it's as if time flew. It was morning. I'd come through the night. This is what Paul's talking about. The Lord said to him, My grace is made perfect in weakness. She experienced the grace of God. I don't know how she goes through it. I don't know. And then after coming away from her house, I thought, how come I didn't remember that? few days later, I went over again. I said, Nancy, how come? I didn't realize that you had gone through this. You said this was at the beginning of COVID. I said, and it dawned on me. <laughs> Esther, my wife, was diagnosed with brain tumors, and I was caring for her, and I wasn't able to go to see Nancy. And even if I was, I couldn't have gotten in. Everything was in lockdown. And then she reminded me that I had called her. I said, I called you? She says, yes, you called me when I was in the hospital. And I said, I, she said, I could barely speak. I said, what did I say? I said, Nancy, I don't know what I'm going to do if I lose you and I lose Esther too. How much do we really know of the grace of God when we've been brought into weakness? And I'll tell you what, there's a number of people here that we know that they're going through difficult times. But those times are the preparation times when God is forming in you something that he's able to use for himself in these last days. And he will raise you up. But first of all, you must come down you must know and understand the grace of God in your weakness because if you're not in that position and you don't remain in that position, you're of no value in the service of God.
So where do we go for help? David writes in Psalm 18, the pangs of death surrounded me and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of shale surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. And he heard my voice from his temple. That is his mercy seat, the throne of grace. And my cry came before him, even to his ears. We have nowhere else to turn. Hebrews said, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I was challenged this week that we only cry out to God when we're in distress. I think we're all challenged by that. I'm under distress. God help me and I expect him to come through. I'm going to read you something. I think it's anonymous, either that or unknown author, which gives us a little insight into the way in which God works in order to prepare those that he will use in ministry. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands while in his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and which every purpose fuses him. By every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. God knows what he's doing when you're in the valley of despair. And God may be preparing you for a great ministry. But don't be like King Saul. He started out right when he knew he was nothing. But when he boasted and thought of his own self-importance, God removed him. The worst thing that we can ever endure is the silence of God. The other illustration I want to give you, and this is truly amazing to me, because I didn't know what hymns were going to be chosen. All I did was I reversed a couple of them. And before I do that, again another hymn, and I have it in my notes. We must never forget Martin Luther's hymn, What a Mighty God We Serve, because in it he says, For still our ancient foe the seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, don't underestimate it, and armed with cruel hate on earth. 
is not his equal. We're up against an adversary that is working to overthrow not only us as individuals, but the church at large. Don't allow God to do that in your life and it spread to others. I'm going to read you the story. And this is why I switched the hymns for this morning. Anybody heard of Annie Johnson Flint? Nobody. You see? God works behind the scenes and you may never be known. I was invited to preach one time at a particular denomination. I'd been asked back eight times. I was now on my ninth time. And I went out to have a walk with God to give me the message. And he immediately gave me a message and I said, oh no God, no, not that one. That runs diametrically opposed to their thinking. Give me a different message. I had an argument with God for three days, going out for a walk. God, please give me another message. All I received was silence. I had to give the message. I knew it wouldn't go over well. Probably three, four people thanked me afterwards. Most of them didn't want to look at me. I was never invited back. I was never invited to speak for 10 years. And during that time, I was going over this in my mind. And I had been assured from day one it wasn't the message and whether people received it or not. God was testing me to see if I'd be obedient. God may give you a message for these last days. Be obedient. But on the other hand, wait on God's timing. The timing may not be right. I've learned that throughout my life. Let me read you the story of Annie Johnson Flint. And she's basically known for one hymn in particular. Annie's mother died at the age of 23. Soon after giving birth to Annie's sister, her father was not well, and for two years the bereaved family of three lived with a widow friend who was not welcoming to the girls. By a remarkable providence, a local school teacher, who the children came to know simply as Auntie Susie, saw the distressing situation and recommended a childless Christian couple in the town, Mr. and Mrs. Flint, as a possible solution. It would, of course, require her father to be willing to allow them to be adopted as their own. He was willing to do this on two counts. Firstly, his serious illness, which resulted in his own death not long afterwards. And secondly, the fact that they were Baptists. Wow. 
Annie's father had long hoped that the children would be brought up in a Baptist tradition. Tatiana, where are you? Oh, she's downstairs. At the age of eight. Oh, all the kids would be downstairs. At the age of eight, she was brought to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In later life, she testified of the reality of that experience. And although she was young, she was convinced that God had truly saved her that day. She began her first position as a school teacher in her hometown, teaching at the school where she had once been a pupil. There, symptoms of arthritis began to appear. These grew steadily worse, causing her to have to give up her post as she was almost unable to walk. Then, tragedy struck again when both of her adoptive parents died within a few months of each other. Annie was left overwhelmed with sadness and loss. Her own health continued to deteriorate rapidly, and it was not long before the doctors sadly had to tell her that she would soon become a helpless invalid, crippled by the advancing arthritis running through her body. In her sadness, her illness, and her desperate financial predicament, Annie was cast upon God. Annie became thoroughly convinced that God intended to glorify himself through her in her weak earthen vessel. Like the Apostle Paul, there came to her with real assurance the promise which said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. She reached the place where she could also say with Paul, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my affirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. No one can tell what suffering she endured as the disease became worse with the passing of years. But through it all, her faith in the goodness and mercy of God never wavered. There were many times, no doubt, when her soul would be burdened with the mystery of it all and the why of what she was called to endure. For more than 40 years, there was scarcely a day when she did not suffer pain. And she became increasingly helpless. Her joints had become rigid, although she was still just able to turn her head. In great pain, she could write only with a few lines. And if I remember rightly, she would take a piece of chalk like this, a big piece, and, and try and write out something on the board in front of her. On September the 8th, 1932. Her words before she died were to her doctor in front of a visiting couple who knew her well. He asked if there was anything she wished to say before he gave her a pain-killing injection. I have nothing to say. It's all right, she said. In a few minutes, she'd gone to be with the Savior who she loved and served so well. In a lifetime that seemed to have had so much all wrong, she was given remarkable grace and strength to, to proclaim, in fact, it was all right. This is where the rubber meets the road. It's wonderful to preach on the grace of God, but to live this grace out in our lives 
requires something totally different. Through that, we will come to know the Savior in a way in which we could not otherwise. It's only when you've reached the bottom that you appreciate the goodness and the grace of God. There's another one I'd like to read to you. It's entitled The Confederate Soldier. And this one I think is author unknown. But I think it speaks to what we're speaking of. It says, I asked for strength that I might achieve. He made me weak that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given grace that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken words were answered. I am among men most richly blessed. And the hymn that Annie Johnson Flint wrote and it may be the only one that most of us have heard, and probably many of us haven't heard, is the following. He giveth more strength. He giveth more strength when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To add in afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, his multiplied peace when we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's forgiving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing. The Father, both thee and thy load, will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men, for out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Father, teaches to really experience your grace. Break our hearts if need be. Because without that experience we aren't going to know you. And we won't be able to be serviceable to you. Father, work on our hearts this week. In Jesus' name.